Sam from Paradise Beers, and you're listening to P.S. Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm P.F., this is my tape recorder. Comedian Ryan Hamilton. Often there'll be a group of people after a show or something, and one person will say, I really noticed you were clean. And a lot of people in the group will go, no, he wasn't, and then they'll think out and go, you were We'll hear more from Ryan in just a bit. Mike Huckabee says there's no war on women in the GOP, so there's no need for the women folk to worry their pretty little heads about any such nonsense. But first, as always, big news. And now, fake news with me. Former NBA and amateur diplomat Dennis Rodman has entered a rehab facility just a few days after returning from North Korea. His first morning in the facility, he woke and said... Was I in Korea playing basketball in front of a brutal dictator? Hillary Clinton is the biggest frontrunner ever for the Democratic presidential nomination. That's according to a new Washington Post ABC News poll, which finds the former Secretary of State with a 73 to 12 lead over Vice President Joe Biden in a hypothetical 2016 Democratic primary race. U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren gets 8% of the vote. Dick Morris, meanwhile, is predicting a Chris Christie landslide, as well as a big win for the New Jersey governor in the 2016 presidential election. House Speaker John Boehner said today that President Obama's expected executive order to increase the minimum wage for federal contractors will hurt low-income African Americans and Hispanics because employers will not be able to afford as many employees. Boehner said he and his GOP colleagues are working on a comprehensive plan to hurt low-income African Americans and Hispanics even worse. That's pretty telling that he uses the phrase, will hurt lower-income African Americans and Hispanics, because then I guess employers will only hire white folks? I, I I don't get that. Cerebrellis has fired manager Jordan Feldstein. The news comes after a strained scuffle between Feldstein and Sharon Osbourne took place at last Saturday night's Clive Davis Recording Academy-sponsored pre-Grammy gala at the Beverly Hilton Hotel. Feldstein and the talk host apparently got into a heated exchange that resulted in Osbourne tipping over a plate of food on his lap and throwing water at his head. The fight apparently erupted over comments Feldstein made about Jack Osbourne and his wife. Says a source, Sharon screamed, you don't F with the Osbournes. Ozzy was reached for comment the next day, but his statement is still being deciphered. A cruise ship on which hundreds of passengers and crew members fell ill has returned to port this past Wednesday in New Jersey, whereupon hundreds more got ill from being in New Jersey. This Sunday, or this past Sunday, depending on when you're listening to this, is Super Bowl Sunday, a day that is second only to Thanksgiving in terms of U.S. food consumption. A myth that is debunked a few years ago erroneously states that the day also sees the highest number of domestic violence cases. That's not true. That's been disproven. And while that isn't true, Super Bowl Sunday does see the highest suicide rates among despondent Browns and Lions fans. And finally, Toronto Mayor Rob Ford is sticking up for another headline-grabbing Canadian, Justin Bieber. Ford was asked about the pop singer when he spoke by phone to host of a Washington, D.C.-based sports talk show. Ford said Bieber is only 19 and asked the radio personality to think back to when they were that age. Ford, who has become internationally known for his many headline-grabbing moments in recent months, says he's never met Bieber and is not a fan of his music. Until now. And that's been Fake News with me. While looking for the subject of this week's dumb bit, I kept getting pulled back to Mike Huckabee, who about a week and a half ago said something really silly. Now, you're going to hear a little bit of an echo on this, and I'll explain why in a second. And if the Democrats want to insult the women of America by making them believe 
that they are helpless without Uncle Sugar coming in and providing for them a prescription each month for birth control because they cannot control their libido or their reproductive system without the help of the government, then so be it. Let us take that discussion all across America. Okay, so Newsbusters got all upset uh, and said Mike Huckabee was quoted out of context and that MSNBC edited the clip uh, in the post on their website via parent company, the ironically named Media Research Council. They played the whole quote with uh, the echo starting where MSNBC edited it, so that's why you're hearing the echo. So here's the whole thing uh, that appears on the uh, Media Research Council website and then was reposted by Newsbusters. Women I know are outraged that the Democrats think that women are nothing more than helpless and hopeless creatures whose only goal in life is to have the government provide for them birth control medication. Women I know are smart, educated, intelligent, capable of doing anything that anyone else can do. Our party stands for the recognition of the equality of women and the capacity of women. That's not a war on them, it's a war for them. And if the Democrats want to insult the women of America by making them believe that they are helpless without Uncle Sugar coming in and providing for them a prescription each month for birth control because they cannot control their libido or their reproductive system without the help of the government, then so be it. Let us take that discussion all across America because women are far more than the Democrats have played them to be. And women across America need to stand up and say, enough of that nonsense. So I guess the argument is that Huckabee is really saying the GOP respects and defends women Except even with the full clip, he's not. So even though he says this... Women I know are smart, educated, intelligent, capable of doing anything that anyone else can do. He still says this. Because they cannot control their libido or their reproductive system without the help of the government. So in his attempt to paint Democrats as somehow pandering to women, he he reveals how clueless he is about contraception. And and there's nothing out of context here. I mean, he really thinks that's what contraception is about, is because these chicks can't control themselves. So no matter what he's saying about the Democrats, he still thinks that contraception is about controlling a woman's libido. And he just just doesn't get it. And so, oh, I'm sorry. Let me take this real quick. OPF, Mike Huckabee here. How are you? Oh, good. Uh, you know, we were just talking about you. Oh, I'm sure you were. I'm sure you were. Uh, you know, P.F., let me straighten you something out here. Uh, there, there's, there's no war on women being waged by the GOP. If anything, we are waging a war for women. Uh, see, somehow, I'm, I'm not seeing that. Oh, shoot, son, it's the Democrats that think women need Uncle Sugar. By the way, don't you love that Uncle Sugar? Because, uh, you know, a lot of gals say, you know, they lack older rich guys. Uh, well, except for me. Anyway, they don't need Uncle Sugar to give them a prescription for birth control to control their libidos and reproductive systems. Uh, I don't think I understand how, how contraception works there, Governor. Look, we know women are perfectly capable of controlling their own libido and reproductive systems. They don't need to worry their pretty little heads about getting birth control provided by the government. That's all I'm saying, doggone it. I think you think you're supporting women, but you're really not. A horse bucky. A woman can do anything a man can do, and usually for a lot less money. Well, that's the kind of thing that we definitely support here at the GOP. You see, I think they'd rather make the same amount of money as men for doing the same work. Ah, there you go again to their big government liberal nonsense. Women don't need the government to tell them how much money they should make. Yeah, well, no, but some, some employers, I, I think, should. P.F. women make more money than men for the same work when you factor in time for take, they take off for raising the young'uns. That's a statistic Tucker Carlson made up. But is that fair? I mean, don't you guys want the, the women folk raising the kids? Or what about men to do the same thing? I would think that's the most valuable contribution you can make in a society, and you shouldn't be penalized for it when you return to the workforce. Well, yes, it is. It is valuable, P.F., but, but we, uh, we shouldn't have to foot the bill for that. 
Yeah, yeah, but we all benefit. Now, Thea, stop with your hippy-dippy way of looking at things. All I was trying to say is that women don't need government help to keep them from getting frisky. Uh, that's not the issue. And I was taken completely out of context. It's the Democrats that want to give the women a handout to, so they can control their libidos. But that's not how it works. The fact that you think that is the problem. Don't you, don't you get that? Not the fact that women want contraception as part of their health care coverage, which, by the way, saves money in the long run. But women can take care of themselves, and it's up to us menfolk to make sure that they can do that. Okay, Governor, so women need to stand up and say we don't want contraception as part of our health care coverage, and we don't want to make the same amount of money as men for the same work? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Glad to see you could see it my way now, PF. And I got you all straightened out and all, so uh, I must be off. Brian Hamilton is a stand-up comedian originally from Idaho. He started doing stand-up while attending college at Brigham Young University in Utah. You've seen him in all the late-night talk shows and headlining clubs and theaters across the country. Here now is our interview with Ryan Hamilton. Okay, joining us on PF Tape Recorder, it's comedian Ryan Hamilton. Ryan, how you doing? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Cool. Uh, it's been a while since we spoke. In fact, I think the last time we did this uh, was for a print piece in City Pages, and uh, Orny Adams was with you, grabbed the phone, and gave you a ringing endorsement. Oh, really? Yeah, you guys were walking around a mall in Toronto, I think it was, as a matter of fact. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I kind of remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was for Orny, right? Orny was coming to work in Minneapolis. No, I think it was you, right? and he grabbed the phone. Yeah, and it was you. I was interviewing you, you and he grabbed oh. the And I've interviewed him before, too. In fact, he was supposed to be on the podcast. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, and we couldn't work it out, but we're gonna have him on sometime soon. Uh, Orny's very funny. I do remember that. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I remember Orny stealing things from me. <laughs> well, there you go. So, uh, what's new with you, man? I mean, we're seeing you on, on all the you know late night talk shows, doing your stuff and headlining everywhere. But uh, anything new besides? Um, you know, it's a lot of that still. Uh, I'm just doing that, and I'm I'm really enjoying it. I'm working on the road a lot. Um, I was in Australia a couple of months ago. That's oh, wow. kind of new. I did a week at the uh, Sydney Opera House, which was amazing. That's and, huge. Um, you know, I did it with a bunch of other comedians. Um, it wasn't my own show, but it was uh, it was a lot of fun. It was amazing to be over there. It was my first time over there. Oh, cool. And, um, yeah, just to work in that, that place now, um, was amazing. Comedian Jimmy Dore says that uh, Australia is one of the last places on earth where people still like Americans. They do seem to. I haven't done a ton of international travel outside of Canada, but I um, I feel like um, Australians did like us, and uh, they loved comedy, too. So it was great, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Arch Barker, of course, is huge over there, uh, even bigger yeah. than he's here. Yeah, so um, they, they, I guess they get that American sensibility uh, somehow. Yeah. Who, who else was with you on that show? Um, let's see. Well, there was a, quite a few people. Uh, Greg Barrett was there. Uh, oh, wow. Deb B. Giovanni, if you know Deb. Yeah, yeah, we talked to her a couple months ago. Uh, yeah, yeah, she's fantastic, um, as is Greg. Everybody was really great there. Um, it was a lot of fun. Who else was there? Felicity Ward, who is an Australian comedian. Okay. Peter Hellyer, who is also an Australian comedian. They were all fantastic also. It was really a fun show. We did... Um, uh, relationship show, theme show. So we were all talking about relationships or 
in my case, lack of mostly. <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, so we did that, um, and then we did a one show, which was a big international comedy gala show that had other people on it. Rob Schneider was there, and um, oh yeah, he's another good um, guy. Some guys from Whose Line Is It Anyway, Colin Mockery and, and Ryan Stiles. Oh wow! And um, yeah trying to remember who else was on some we, of those shows. We need that kind of show in Tom America. Kiernan, who is a big international star, but a lot of Americans may not know him. But, um, yeah. Wow. It was great. Yeah. Now, really fun. for the benefit of the podcast listener, I know we've covered this in print before. You're originally from Utah, correct? Well, originally from Idaho, actually. That's, where that's I Idaho. I'm where sorry. My family is. Okay. Yeah, that's where I was raised. No, that's okay. I started comedy in Utah. That's though. it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And and growing up, did did you did you have a sense of wanting to be a comedian, or did you kind of being in the spotlight, or was it kind of a thing that, that came later once you were in college? Well, I don't think uh, I was like in the spot, like drew myself to the spotlight a lot. But I always had a fascination with comedy, and I thought about it a lot, and I always kind of would write down little notes and things that I thought could be funny things, but. Um, you know, I feel like I was a pretty observant child, maybe, but not so much uh, super gregarious, <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of people assume comedians are sometimes. But I think it's also common for comedians to be somewhat introverted, even. Yeah. And uh, I probably fall more in the, on that side of the spectrum, <laughs> uh, especially growing up. So what did you find funny growing up? What, what kind of d- inspired your, your humor uh, at that young age? Um, well, it's funny. I um, was inspired by a couple of things. When I look back on, you know, maybe like like 8 to like 12, 14 years old, I was, there was a few things that I, I wanted to be originally like a, a writer and uh, be a funny columnist. I thought that would be... Ah, amazing yeah. career like Dave Barry I would read Dave Barry every Sunday and I looked forward to it and I loved it and I actually called the local papers in my little town and asked them if I could write and they were like sure so I would I ended up doing this column every week for the local paper on like the high school happenings and I would try and make it really funny Oh, cool. I recently was reading over some of them when I was home for Christmas because I hadn't seen them since then, maybe, and they were just, uh, it's just so funny to oh. see what you used to think was funny, you know? And so w- I, I did that, and also um, Farsight cartoons, actually, were really oh, yeah. influential on me. Um, we always, like... We would always have their books floating around in their calendars, and every Christmas, you know, somebody would get a new Farsight book. And I always, I, I'm still drawn to those. I recently just bought the, there's this huge, uh, like, two-volume edition of every Farsight ever, and it's this massive hardbound two-volume thing, and I bought it, and I love it. And... Um, so those were kind of odd things, but I also watched it, you know, and then when I was like in my teen and high school years, I watched a lot of comedy on TV, a lot of stand-up and David Letterman and um, stuff uh, whenever it was on, you know, I would watch all the cable shows that had stand-up and 
make my family watch them and just loved it. But you know, I wasn't thinking about it as a career really, but I was always drawn to it and liked being trying to at least thinking funny, you know. Yeah. Now, as I recall, you took kind of that interest in uh, column writing, and didn't you major in journalism? Uh, at was it Brigham Young? Yeah. Wow, that's a great memory. Yeah, I did. Well, I um, yeah, I started in journalism, and I got associate degrees in print and broadcast journalism, and then I switched over to public relations, and that's what I ended up graduating um, in with a you know a bachelor's degree, but. Uh, yeah, and I wanted to be, it's funny, I wanted to be a journalist for a long time, and then um, I kind of I made a decision um, in the middle of college. I, I was working in journalism. I was working around broadcast journalism, kind of outside it, and I saw how rough it is, and those guys have to move around, and, you know, how little they get paid. And yep. The industry was changing, and... And I thought, I'm going to do something more stable. And I switched over to public relations, which I also had a passion for studying. I really loved it. I loved the principles behind it and everything. But um, it's, you know, it's funny to think that eventually you can't make a decision based on what you feel like stable. You're drawn to what you feel, you know, comedy is like the, the least stable profession you might be able to find. Yeah, so, that's true. You know. And it wasn't toward the end but of college, yeah. though, that you, um... What? It wasn't toward What's the... That? I said it wasn't toward the end of college, I guess, that you uh, said you finally decided to go to an open mic? Yeah, I mean, I, um... I had done comedy two or three times when I was 18 years old as a freshman in college. I had a... A few of us had a small college radio show, had like an eight-mile radius of campus. And there were some of us who were interested in comedy... And we put together some shows that we could broadcast for the radio station. None of us knew what we were doing. but So I did that, and then I didn't touch it again until I graduated college. I was about, um, you know, this was five, six years later. And um, the day after I finished, like, my last final, I was always working through college and, you know, busy. But I always was writing comedy. So as soon as I finished my last final, I remember I called the comedy club and they said, yeah, come down. So I went down like the next day and did like three minutes. They didn't have an open mic even. It was just like, they just let me go up, which looking back on that is really weird. But hmm. I went up on a Friday for like three minutes and um, yeah. And how did I it go? Tell anybody. Um, I remember it like, it, I remember it getting some laughs and I did some weird things like I actually had some props <laughs> <laughs> I had this thing where I had these ping pong balls that I had cut in half <laughs> and I would stick it in my eye and I would be like you can have a lot of fun with these things I'd <laughs> stick it in my eye socket and I would turn around and be like I'd like to run into the eye doctor and just yell drops I need drops I remember doing <laughs> that kind of bit I don't remember the whole setup there was something else the setup, but it was, uh, I did that maybe two or three times I did that bit, and the first time I went on stage, I had some, like, real observational stuff, and I think I, like, maybe closed with that yeah. <laughs> or something, and I got a few laughs, but I remember leaving the show, like, I didn't even stick around for the whole show, so I must have had something going on, or either I felt real nervous, but I, did, I didn't tell anybody, and I went up and did that, and then I left. And um, I actually had 
an ex-girlfriend by this girl who I dated who was at the show and I didn't know and she called me the next day and was like I didn't know you're doing comedy and I was kind of like freaked out over that you know just you saw that I can't believe ugh that um, made you gun shy then or I kept going back oh okay I kept going back but I didn't I didn't tell people about it for a while you know I told a few close friends but I was hesitant to have people at the shows that I knew yeah but um I kept going back yeah and then after a while I really liked it and I wanted people to know and I you know I was still terrible but I was <laughs> learning a lot <laughs> Well, that's that does that. Yeah. It's how it goes. Now, I, I was yeah. when I was looking uh, the other day to to find your uh, contact information to contact your your publicist. I was looking over the bio to see if anything they get caught up on, and I noticed, and I'd never noticed yeah. this before. But you're one of those guys that works clean, but you don't really think about the fact that you work clean. It isn't like a, a it doesn't seem like a conscious thing. It's just you know uh, the you know just the way your comedy is, and that yeah. Did you constantly ahead, develop that style, or 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 is it just something that developed on its own? Um, I don't think it was real conscious. I, I, you know, I I look at the comedians that I've always kind of been drawn to and like loved watching, and they were always happened to be clean. I'm I'm always kind of drawn to the uh, observational kind of stuff, which tends to lean on the side of clean mostly. Yeah, and. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it wasn't. I'm just kind of that way, and I'm not really, you know, I don't uh, use a lot of cursing type of language in my everyday speech, really, that much anyway. But, um, yeah, it's not something like I'm like, I wanted to go out and had this mission to be a clean comedian, but I was always kind of drawn to that kind of stuff anyway, and it seems to come out that way for me. So, yeah. Um, but I get that often from people. Often there'll be a group of people after a show or something, and one person will say, I really noticed you were clean. And a lot of people in the other group will go, no, he wasn't. And then they'll think <laughs> about it and go, you were clean. <laughs> and you know, it's kind of this surprise thing. Yeah. But I like that. I like that that happens because it means that people aren't thinking about, it means that people are thinking about the the. The, the funny factor rather than you know anything else yeah like putting it in a category you know yeah so I like I like that I, I can't remember who it was I interviewed years and years ago for Pint Piece and, and it was for Cleveland and this guy he'd, he'd been working dirty but then he decided to gradually clean up his act because he said nobody uh, ever came up to him after a show and said your act is too clean and I can't remember who that was. And then Brian right. Regan and Jim Gaffigan told me separately, essentially the same thing, is that they, even though, especially Jim Gaffigan says, oh, I, I swear all the time in my real life when I'm on stage, it feels weird to, to swear or talk about uh -huh. things that are R-rated, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I kind of get that because yeah. I do open mics. I kind of feel the same way. Even I will talk about grown-up things, but part of the shtick I've almost tried to incorporate is I try to choose words delicately and then the doing that also seems funny as well even when I'm trying to describe something yeah. really grown up yeah so it, it kind of has a, a, a I guess a, a positive effect in a way yeah yeah it's um it is interesting it's like there are times when I'm like well let me like you know there are times when it's like people stick me on a dirty show to be like let's see what happens oh uh, yeah yeah in those moments and when I kind of 
teeter into that realm a little bit or something. It's like, it doesn't work. It comes out like, it's not, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm hesitant about it or whatever, but it seems to not, the audience is like, ah, we don't want to see that come out of you. Actually. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, I guess so. it's also that challenge, you know, from your, your journalism and PR background is how can you bend the language to still stay true to your voice, but also still speak to that audience that, that maybe does kind of want to hear that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are sometimes people come, you know, when you're a comedian who's working, like I work all over the country and people may not, you know, like a lot of people in the audiences won't know who I am or will have just heard of me that week when they went to the club website and was like, who do we want to see, you know? So sometimes people come out and they want to be shocked or they want to be, you know, and so you have to work extra hard to, to be funny for those groups of people. But I don't know. It's, uh, I guess that's a long answer to a, a short question, but it's not been really a conscious decision just kind of like the way that it's come out of me and what I've enjoyed yeah and again in the long run I think you know it, it just it makes you more remarkable because again you know it, you can you can be in a, as a clean comedian you can play any kind of a venue whereas a dirty comedian sometimes people will lay back and go well maybe this guy isn't going to be right because you know what if it's an, you know, an 8 o'clock show or it's you know a corporate gig or something like that you know then it kind of it maybe even limits your options yeah, it's true. I mean, I will admit that um, it does help on the the uh, business end of things. You know, like sometimes I I will get offered gigs just because they, you know, I'm clean. That may be the deciding thing. It's like, well, we need somebody for this event. You know, we're clean. So. Yeah, it does help in that way, I have to admit. So, uh, any other vehicles that uh, you, you've been able to push your comedy through lately, uh, using your kind of journalism backgrounds, or mostly concentrating on the stand-up and, uh, and the touring? Um, mostly stand-up and touring. I mean, I'm I'm writing a few things here and there that I'm trying to, uh, you know, get out, but nothing that I've got finalized or, you know. But I'm always, um, it's mostly been stand-up, and... Um, I really like that, you know. Yeah. I'm auditioning here and there and working on, you know, building my ability as an actor. Um, That's cool. And I enjoy that, too. Yeah, I really like it. It's a thing where I just wanted to experiment with and see if how I felt about it, because I don't want to, you know, push into something where I'm not passionate about it. I think that's what's great about this business is where, you know, you get to do something you love. So often we're asked to do all these other things, but... yeah. You got to find the areas that you know you enjoy doing because that's really where you're going to excel. Yeah. It seems like so. I've been experimenting with acting and seeing how much I enjoy it, and I like it. Oh, that's good. And uh, yeah, I do. Oh. And uh, it's difficult, but I like it. It, it seems like it would be a lot harder than uh, it looks, actually, cause, because when you've been yourself for so long on stage in front of people to kind of have to become sort of somebody else or do this, you know, uh, some, something else somebody has written would kind of seem, you know, kind of be a bit of a challenge. Yeah, and I think as comics we often go, I can do that. You know, I'm on stage every night. I can do that, you know. But until you try it, you go, oh, this is actually really, really hard to be authentic and to be so vulnerable and um, 
you know, put yourself completely out there. We do that in a sense as comedians, but also a lot of what we do is a shield, you know, like our jokes are kind of a shield. Yeah. It's almost the opposite of acting in some ways, you know? Yeah. We go point. up there and be like, you know, I can turn anything you throw at me into something funny. But actors go up there and go, this is who I really am emotionally, <laughs> you know, or yeah, supposedly yeah. that's what you're supposed to do. So in some ways it's, it's the opposite of what we do. We were uh, watching an old uh, Mitch Hedberg, uh, the, his old Comedy Central Presents, uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, oh, yeah. Over, and I he, love this joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know where I'm going. He's uh, uh, You get to Hollywood, and they're like, you know, can you also act? It's like, yeah, you're a great cook. Can you farm? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's such a great joke. And it's so insightful. It's true. Yeah. It's like, but, you I know, was having this conversation last night with um, a friend of mine, uh, Marina Franklin, who's a fantastic... Oh, yeah, yeah. We love Marina. Yeah, you know Marina? Yeah. Yeah, she's great. She's really great. And um, I was talking, we were talking about being on the road and some of the things that people say, and it always blows my mind when people talk about, like, they come up to you after a show, like headlining on the road, be a big show, great, you know, and they go, so do you do this full-time, or is this your only thing? <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Yeah, this is what I'm doing, you know? People don't realize with comedy that it's like, no, this is this is me getting to a... Like, I worked really hard to get to this point, you know? Yeah. That you're seeing me at now. And people, for whatever reason, people think comedians is like a hobby or a side thing, but that's what we do. And the industry tends to, you know, push us that way too, where it's like, what else can you do? Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, and some people want to do other stuff, but yeah, but other people don't, and it's you know a lot of people just happy yeah. playing the bigger and bigger rooms and honing their craft and being known really as a stand-up and you know and really killing yeah. it that way. So, yeah, it's strange. Yeah. Well, all right, man. Sounds like things are going in the right direction for you, anyway. Yeah, we'll see. I hope so. I'm enjoying um, where I'm at, and uh, you know, working on getting um, better and better and doing more and more, and I don't know. Cool. Um, well, hopefully we'll see you in yeah. Cincinnati sometime uh, soon. Have you have you ever been to Cincinnati before? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, I've been to Cincinnati. I've been to uh, I've done the the Funny Bone there okay. a couple of times, and I, I did Go Bananas years ago. But I haven't been there in a long time. I need to get back. Yeah, um, it's been a long time. Yeah. Cool, yeah. man. All right. Well, have fun up in Minnesota. Uh, Hope to see you in Cincinnati. And thanks for taking the time on such short notice today, too. Really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Okay. Uh, No problem. All right. Say hi to Orny. Okay. (laughs) Thanks, Orny. Will do. All right. Thanks, Ben. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again to Ryan Hamilton for being on the show. Uh, If you're downloading this in time, you can catch Ryan in Minneapolis, January 28th through February 1st at the Acme Comedy Club. And then February 13th through the 16th, he is in Denver at the Comedy Works downtown, February 27th in Atlantic City at The Social, March 13th through 15th in Columbia, Missouri at Deja Vu, and in Washington, D.C., he will be uh, performing at the annual Leukemia Ball there in our nation's capital. For all things Ryan Hamilton, go to ryanhamiltonlive.com. Okay, uh, the usual credits, of course, uh, PFT Recorder logo designed by Dan Coble. Follow him at Tiger Dactyl. Uh, Dan's podcast, along with his buddy Logan, can be 
found in iTunes. It is called The Magic Potion. It uh, kind of is a little tech-talky, but it, it, it's uh, something that lay people can understand, like uh, you and I. Uh, let me see. Uh, music for PSTA for Quarter was composed and performed by John Veropoulos and Doug O'Connor with a little help from me. Like the podcast on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at PF66. And I think that's all the business we have for this week's episode, other than to say so long and thanks for listening. Thank you.